Okay, good morning, Boker Tov. We transition this week from the narrative, the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim leaving Egypt, and the story of our experience in the uh, Midbar, the beginning of uh, Har Sinai, the execution or the implementation of our moral code into daily life through Mishpatim, we studied last week. And now we transition to the story of the Mishkan and the, uh, the rest of Sefer Shmos, the uh, construction, the architecture, the designs of the Mishkan and the Kalim contained therein. And then transition from there into Sefer uh, Vayikra, which will continue with all the activities that take place in the Mishkan. So it really represents a harsh transition, a very abrupt transition. In fact, it's unclear, it's left ambiguous, and it is the subject of great debate among the Mepharshim. Does the Mishkan, does the instruction, the command to build the great tabernacle we'll study about this week, come, in fact, right after Harsinai? Does it indeed come right after the experience of Maimed Harsinai? Or does it only come in response and reaction to Chet Egel? Next week's parasha, or sorry, in two weeks we have Chet Egel. We have the story of the uh, egregious mistake, the horrific bad judgment of the Jewish people, that immediately after the most, the greatest revelation in history, they practice infidelity to the Almighty, and of course construct the Egel, studied in the past, maybe we'll talk about it in two weeks, is it as simple as it seems? Is it possible the Jewish people really worshipped idols on their wedding night, under the chuppah of Hashem, Har Sinai? It's impossible. Kuzari has an entirely different interpretation. Maybe we'll mention it in two weeks. But in response, the Rebbe Shalom says, you crave a physical means, you crave a physical medium to connect with me, I understand that. That makes sense. We are, we are after all, physical beings, operating in a physical universe, interacting with a physical world, Rabbi Shalom says, I understand if you only know my existence and connect with me through some physical medium. But you can't do it on your own. You can't create an ego because you think that's how you want to connect. But rather you have to follow my command. It's my world. It's my designs. It's my... Uh, you have to follow my command. And with it, Kodesh Baruch gives us the, the Mishkan. So is the Mishkan a continuation of our Sinai? Or is the Mishkan a reaction to Chayte Ego? Is a continuing debate. The same commentary as we saw last week when we studied at the end of last week's Parsha was the end of last week's Parsha. Did it come before our Sinai? Did Nasa Vinishma come before our Sinai? Or did it in fact come after Mishpatim? Was a debate. Rashi, the Ramban, the Rashbani, Ben Ezra, and so on. And it's the same debate. Do we say, Ein or Yesh Do we say the Torah is written in chronological order? Or do we say the Torah is written in thematical order? And you have both opinions here represented. Look at the Ibn Ezra, for example. In the opening Pasuk of our Parsha, says the Ibn Ezra, Vaidaber Hashem Moshe Lemor, this is the obligation, the beginning of the command to build the Mishkan. When did God give the instruction to build the Mishkan, says the Ibn Ezra? When Moshe ascended the mountain. And what's the reason? What's the impetus? In the Ibn Ezra's view, what is the Mishkan? A continuation of the Harsinai experience. The Mishkan is the place of the gathering of the Jewish people when we want to once again tap into revelation. Revelation is not experienced at the gym or at work or the supermarket. Although, of course, that's where Parshas Mishpatim is implemented. That's where, to a certain extent, holiness is achieved. But revelation, if you want to feel the presence of the Shekhinah, you have to have a designated rendezvous, a designated location. And that is the Mishkan. So the Ibn Ezra says the experience of our Sinai they didn't want to let go of. It was unprecedented and unparalleled unity. What Racheli Frankel spoke about so in such an inspiring way this past Shabbos to us. The unity of Parshas Yisro, Vayichan Sham Yisrael Neged Ahar. They craved to continue it. They longed for it to continue. So how did it continue, says the Ibn Ezra? The Mishka. When you would feel divided, disparate, when you'd feel as if it was beginning to dissipate that feeling, you'd come back to the Mishkan. And the Mishkan was the great unifier. It brought people together. What do we call a shul, which is a Mishkan, a Mikdash Ma'at, a base? Knesset. What does Knesset mean? It's gathering. It brings us together. It creates unity. 
So what we achieved at Har Sinai that we ran the risk of losing, the Mishkan would be the medium, the conduit, to be able to continue it. That's the view of the Ibn Ezra. And that's the secret of our strength. When does the Shechina reside is when we feel we are together. In fact, just as an aside, because we have Rosh Chodesh Adar this week, that's what our worst enemies understand. When are we vulnerable? Mordechai tells us. When are we vulnerable to the threat of extinction, of extermination of our worst enemies? When we are spread out, when we are divided, when we have conflict, when we are discourteous, when we marginalize and judge and condemn one another, that's when we are most vulnerable. And what was the antidote? What did Mordechai understand and instruct Esther and the people remarkably responded to? Their answer was, Lech kinos kol hayehudim. The antidote to the will of the enemy is to go gather together. Be together. The Rush Rabbeinu Asher asks about Tainus Esther. In a couple weeks we'll be fasting. He says, you know, there's a lachi, you're not allowed to have a fast day the day before a Jewish holiday, the day after a Jewish holiday. We used to have a, a Megillah. We used to have a long list of those Jewish holidays because there was nary a day on the Jewish calendar where they did not try to kill us. But Bukla Megillah's Tainus, we ultimately nullified that calendar because you could never say Hespedim. You never could give eulogies or have fast days. Every day we celebrated the miracle of our continuity. But the days that remained include, of course, Purim. So what one of the laws is, when it comes to all the Jewish holidays, you can't have eulogies, you don't have a fast, on the day before the day after. So how does Tainus Esther, ask the Rush, Rabbeinu Usher, how does, Tainus, how does Tainus Esther defy this rule? It's a fast day on Erev Purim. How could you have a fast day on Erev Purim? So the Rush says something remarkable. He says, the fast of Esther is unlike any other fast on our calendar. The other fasts on our calendar are days that we pledge to transcend the human need for food. We are trying to be angelic. It is a day the Rambam calls a day of tshuva. A tannis is an impetus. It's supposed to, it's supposed to um, generate a sense of tshuva, of repentance, of growth. Tainus Esther is not a day of tshuva. Tainus Esther is zecher Latinus, writes the Rush. It commemorates the fast that they did then before the miracle. Meaning, we re-experience that sense of unity. We come together and recreate a sense of lich kinos kola yehudim. The Raivin, his commentary in the Rambam says, unlike every other fast day, which is somber and sad and serious, Tainus Esther he calls a day of simcha. Tainus Esther is not a sad fast day, it's a happy fast day, you're getting ready for Purim. Jews all over the world are getting ready for Purim. Lech kinos kol We're united again. So says the Ibn Ezra, what is the theme, what is the essence of the Mishkan? It's the continuity, it's the continuation of our Sinai. You have to come off the mountain, but you can go into the Mishkan. When you need to revisit that sense of unity with purpose, when you need to revisit that sense of unity with meaning, you do so by coming to the Mishkan. That's the Ibn Ezra. But many other Mephoshim say, no, it's the response to the Chet Egel, as we said earlier. The response to the Chet Egel is, you crave, you need a physical medium through which to connect. So really, why is it out of order then? If it's true that the Mishkan is only a response, a reaction to the Chet Egel, why does the Torah give us Parshios, Truma, and Tetzavah before Kisisa? So that's a question for Kisisa. Maybe we'll talk about it when we get there. So anyway, so in this week's Parsha, we're given this gift the kind of abrupt transition from last week, the conclusion of the narrative of Harsinai, of Nasev and Ishma, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Hashem is giving us the Mishkan. And our Parsha is complete with the description of the, uh, of the Mishkan, of all of the ingredients, all of the materials that are used for the building of the Mishkan, and then we go right into the Kalim. We go right into the utensils. First we have the Aron. The Aron is given to us, with this dimensions, the Ark, that houses the luchos and the broken luchos and the man and the first sefer Torah, the cover of the ark, which we discussed a few years ago, that has the kruvin, the uh, childlike angelic imagery, the cherubs, the kruvin, which we have a tradition when we were in good stead with the Ribbon Shalom, they faced one another. And when we weren't, they turned away from one another. I think a couple years ago I shared with you the great insights of the uh, authoritative marriage therapist of our time, Dr. John Gottman, who talks about 
in terms of healthy marriages, the ratio of bids towards one another versus bids against one another or bids away from one another. And to me, when I, I went to a seminar with him, when I heard him describe that, it elicited the imagery of the Krufim that turn towards one another or when God is not happy with us are turned away from one another. It's online if you want to listen to that. So we have the cover of the Aron, which itself was a miracle. You have the Shulchan, we have the Menorah, we have then the description of the cover of the Mishkan itself, and the walls of the Mishkan, its dimensions, how it was built. We have the Mizbeach, we have the courtyard, and, uh, and that is the end of Parshish Truma. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. Perak Hafei Pasagalach, we're going to revisit the very beginning of Parshish Truma today. Ready? Page 444 in the Old Scroll Stone. Okay. By the Bereshem of Moshe, more God speaks to Moshe, saying, Esther Rechaim, it's a very peculiar way of communing something, communicating a story. If I want to tell you a story, I wouldn't say, my wife said to my daughter, saying, it's kind of a peculiar formulation. It's a familiar pasuk. It's all over the Torah. By Daber Shema Moshe Lemor. God spoke to Moshe saying, we're used to it because we've been listening to Chumash, the parsha, our whole lives. Kriyas the Torah, our whole lives. Benutzi Orachayim, Tzarech Ladas, Lama lo speak by Meshachadam Lomar, Lemor. It says, By Daber Shema Moshe Lemor, Daber Albana Yisrael. God spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the Jewish people. Once it says Lemor, saying, Isn't it obvious to whom is Moshe to address it? To the Jewish people. So why the redundancy? God spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the people and say, So says the Orachayim HaKadosh, V'nir Olomar Aderach Masha Amru, he answers based on the Gemara at the beginning of Yuma Daftalim. Minayin she'omer davar l'chaveru shehu bebal tomar Sh'neemar v'yidaber Hashem al Moshe le'mor V'yapi advarim ha'ele Yitztarach lomar daber el b'nei Yisrael Sh'im lo'kein y'achshav Moshe Ki lo'ba ela l'oseis rishus She'ein ze bebal tomar Chovo minayin Tamud lomar daber Says the Orachayim, quoting the Gemara in Yuma A very important principle A principle lost to too many in our generation Here's the question. When someone tells you something and they don't indicate whether or not you have permission to repeat it, what should you assume? Someone tells you something and they don't tell you whether you have permission to repeat it. I got a new job. If they tell you I'm pregnant, you should assume you shouldn't repeat that. They say, I got a new job. I just want to tell you about this new job I got. I'm so excited. I got a new job. Great. Should you assume you have permission to repeat that? Or is the assumption that they confide in you and you don't? What's the default? Is the default that you can never repeat anything unless they tell you, uh, and that's public information? Or is the default that you can share everything unless they tell you, don't tell anyone? Which is the default? The Gemara Yuma Daftal tells us the default is everything is in confidence unless stipulated otherwise. And how do you know that? Where do we learn that from? By Daber Hashem Moshe, Lemor. If God had not said Lemor, Moshe would not be entitled to repeat it. God would have been saying it only to Moshe. What gave Moshe the license to repeat it? The word Lemor. So it says the Orchayim, when it says, Vaidaber Hashem Moshe, Lemor, it means that Moshe has Rishus. Moshe is entitled to repeat it. It's not in confidence. How do you know Chov Aminayin? How do you know he's obligated to repeat it? That's why the next Pasuk begins, Daber al Bnei Yisrael. But it's an important halacha for us to keep in mind. Can you forward an email? Is the assumption that every email is public information unless they say it's confidential? Or is the assumption that every email is confidential unless they tell you you're allowed to forward it? We learn from this Pasuk by Daber Shema Moshe Leimor, everything is confidential unless you're given permission. Email the person back. Am I allowed to forward this? Do you mind if I share this? Everything's confidential unless you're given permission. That's what the Orchaim says. Good. Pasuk base. What's the instruction? What is it that Moshe is supposed to relay? Speak to the Jewish people and take for me Truma, a donation. From every person who has a generous heart. Take for me Truma. What word is superfluous in this Pasuk? 
Li. What should it say? Vikhu. Truma. Take Truma. Take a donation. Why does it say, take for me, says Rashi? Vikhu li Truma. Li. Lishmi. For me, for my name. It should be Lishma. The gift should be with a proper intent. Look at the Sifsei Chachamim. He explains Rashi. We know everything in the world belongs to God. Why does it have to say Li? It means to add this additional component that the donor should be doing it Lishma. The donor shouldn't give it because they want to have their name on the wall. The donor shouldn't give it for their reputation. The donor shouldn't give it for business networking or Shiduchim for their children. The donor should be giving it Lishma. Li, Lishmi. That's why. Vikhuli, what should it say? Our kids all come home with this Tvartora. It sounds like it's an unsophisticated Tvartora, but it's actually quite brilliant. And it's said none other by the Beis HaLevi, the great Rav Yashaber Salavichik Zatzal, the Rav's great-grandfather. Says the Beis HaLevi, what do you mean, Vikhuli Truma? What should it say? Viet Nuli Truma. What is it? God tells Moshe, go tell the people, take from me donations so we can build a Mishka. What do you mean, take from me? What should it say? The commandment is, give donations, not take donations. So why does it say, take rather than give? So says the Beis HaLevi, famously, when a person gives, they are getting much more than they've given. The satisfaction one receives by giving is much greater than anything that they have possibly given. In other words, HaKadosh Baruch gives us resources. And we are the trustees of those resources. And when we donate, when we give those resources, we're not actually giving anything that belongs to us. Put, you know, the Rambam writes in Moran Avuchim, I've shared this before. When you give charity, what's that called? To give? Staka. What's the root of the word staka? Sedek. What does Sedek mean? Translate the word Sedek? Righteousness. Or just justice. Is it an act of justice for me to give my hard-earned money to somebody who didn't earn it? I work day and night. I don't see my family. I give up sleep. I have no hair left on my head. And whatever's left is gray. All to earn my livelihood. So when I give stucca to somebody who needs, is that justice? That's not justice. That's kindness. That's generosity. That's kindness. Justice is... What's mine is mine. I worked hard for it. I should keep it. Asks the Rambam, why is staka called staka? Why is it based on sedek? It should be based on chesed. It should be called chesed, not staka, not staka, not sedek. So the Rambam says you have it all wrong. You have it all wrong. You think you earn that livelihood? You think it belongs to you? You have a partner in earning that living, and you are the junior partner. The senior partner is the ribono shalom. And without the consent, without the participation, without the contribution of the senior partner, you would have nothing. So when you have what you have, much of it belongs to you, but some of it you are the trustee over, and it belongs to your partner. And the partner says, I'd like you to be the trustee, the steward of my money, and give it out, allocate it, the way I would want you to. So when you give tzedakah, are you giving something that belongs to you? The miser, the portion that you're giving of tzedakah, doesn't actually belong to you. You're giving away your partner, the senior partner's portion, the way he wants it allocated. So that's not chesed, that's justice, that's righteousness. It's not kindness, you're not doing anything. Really, you know, this wouldn't help me raise money to have this attitude. But the attitude I want to have when someone gives a donation is, you think you're such a grace of Kanakar, you need your name listed, you want your name in lights, you want major thank yous and gifts and fancy things. You gave what you have to give, that's not yours. That would be like some wealthy person asks you to manage their charitable, uh, their charitable foundation and when you cut the check, you think your name should go in lights. Well, a very generous being, namely the Yeribonashalalam, the Namely, the Abishra asked you to manage his charitable foundation. And when you give an allocation from his charitable foundation, your name shouldn't go in lights. That wouldn't be very effective for fundraising. But it's the truth. There's incredible insight. We have a mitzvah called Meiser Behema. 
Just like I have to tithe and give a portion of my money, I give 10% of my animals a year. The Torah tells us, what's the process? How do you find the 10% of your animals? The Torah delineates a very inefficient process. The farmer gathers all their animals in the pen, stands at the door of the gate of the pen, passes the animals out one by one, and says one, two, three, and so on, gets to ten, and says ten, sets it aside for Maisa Behema. Ask the Mepharshim, why not gather all the animals? What's the much more efficient way to do it? What's a more efficient way to do it? Gather the animals. It turns out you have a hundred cows. So even I can figure out that 10% of a hundred is 10. Take 10 cows and give it. Why do I have to go through this whole little charade of one, two, three? So I saw an incredible insight that transforms for me the whole notion of stuck of Meiser. You know why the farmer has to go through that experience? Because you know what the farmer does? They stand at the gate of the pen and they say, one for you, God. I'm sorry, one for me, two for me, three for me, four for me, five for me, six for me, seven for me, eight for me, nine for me, one for you, God. One for me, two for me, three for me, four for me. Right? If you look at 10% versus zero, it sounds like a lot. But if you look at 10% versus 100%, it's nothing. The Rebona Shalom is the senior partner in the relationship. Not only does he not demand 50%, all he asks for is 10% of the profits for his other children. That's nothing. So says the Beis Alevi, it's not viet nuli truma. Don't think that you're giving something that really belongs to you. It's viet kuli. Take what's mine already. Take what belongs to me already that you are only the trustee or the steward of. Take it from me already. There's a beautiful Malbim. The Malbim in Tehillim. We all know the song. She sat at a shalashidus and sang, Kilovim oso yikachakol. I will spare you singing it. Kilobim oso yikachakol. When, you're, when you die, you can't take everything. Ask the Malbim, it's Tehillim Memtes Pasukirchas. Ask the Malbim, Kilobim oso yikachakol. When you die, you can't take everything? You can take some things? You can't take anything, it should say. Not you can't take everything, it should say you can't take anything. You know, Tachrichim don't have pockets. The Kittel, men who wear a Kittel, which is what we will be buried in, the Kittel doesn't have pockets. I once saw it put differently. You've never seen a hearse attached to a U-Haul. Right? It shouldn't say you can't take everything, it should say you can't take anything. So the Malbim has a great word. The Malbim says, it's not true. You can take some things. You know what you can take? The money that you earned, that you gave away, that you're taking with you. The money you used to buy the house and the car and the vacation and the jewelry and the clothing and the... You can't take any of that with you. The money that you earned, that you gave away, that money you do take with you. That money you do take with you. They say Baron Rothschild was once meeting with someone who asked for his net worth. So he turned to his assistant and asked him to bring the ledger of his charitable giving. So the person said, I didn't ask you what you've given, I asked what your net worth is. So Rothschild answered, real estate market could crash, the stock market could crash, the banks could crash, my cash could disappear, I could be worth nothing. But what I've given away, no one can take from me. That's my net worth. So when you die, you can't take everything, but you can take some things. I should do an appeal right now for something. What you can take is the gifts that you've given the incredible gifts that you've given away. And that's why the Pasuk continues, Lo kevodo. The next Pasuk in that Tehillim is, your kavod won't follow you. So meaning, the gifts that you gave, that you can take with you. But what will not follow you is the money you earned that you used to achieve kavod. So that's the Beis HaLevi and the Malbim, the Yikhuli Truma. Why does it say V'yikhu? It should say V'yidnu. Let's look at the Ramban. Says the Ramban in the introduction to this parsha. You got it? Anyone here have a Mikros Gedolos? Follow the Ramban. Kasher Dibir Hashem Yisrael Panam Panam Aseres Adibros V'tibos Samay Dei Moshe Ketzas Mitzvos Shem Kamo Avos Lo Mitzvosei Hashem Torah Kasher Inigur Rabbosenu Ema Gerim Shebarim L'Siyahed Yisrael Kilu Aleim Lassos Koma Shitzavim Al Yidei Moshe When God spoke to the Jewish people face to face Revelation He gave us the Aseres Adibros He commanded Moshe in the smattering of the 
of the mitzvahs. The Karasimayim Brisim calls it. Afterwards, Moshe, the sacrifices, he sprinkles the blood on us. We enter a covenant. We entered a covenant. If we agree, if we pledge our lives and lifestyles to the Almighty, then God will choose us to be an Am Segula. So says the Ramban, if you're going to be a holy people, what do you need among you? God's countenance, the Shechina. You need a place for God to dwell. If we're going to be a holy people, then we need a designated holy place where God can dwell and where we can gather to feel His intense presence. The key thing in the Mishkan is the place where the Orom will sit. And the Ramban continues. The Soda Mishkan, the secret, the essence of the Mishkan. The same countenance, the same intensity of God's presence, which was felt at Har Sinai, would continue in the Mishkan. And where was it housed in the Mishkan? In the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And where in the Kodesh HaKadoshim? In the Aron Habris. The hidden, because whatever is the most sacred, whatever is the most valuable, always is hidden. So God's presence is felt, is projected through the Aron. Through the, where's the Aron today? Oh, it's a big question where the Aron is today. Maybe we'll talk about it when we get to Vayakal Pekudeh and it's hard to repeat the same stuff. We have a whole shear on where the Aron is today. It's fascinating, the different opinions. Among historians which are inaccurate, but even among, even among uh, Jewish sources... It's fascinating, the different opinions. But says the Ramban, says the Ramban, the Aron that houses the Luchos is kind of the epicenter. It's the computer center. It's the um, centerpiece of the entire Mishkan. And it is Benistar, it's hidden, it's concealed, it's inaccessible. The holiness, the holiest is something, this is for another time, but the Jewish secret to Tzniyas. Tzniyas is not about prudishness, Tzniyas is not about what, you know... Tzniyas is about to... The more valuable something is, right? Your most precious jewelry doesn't sit on your counter or the vanity of your bathroom. Where is it? It's in the safe. It's in the safety deposit box, the bank. Your most valuable asset is not visible and accessible for the world to see, but it's something which is precious, it's something which you hold on to, it's something which you only give access in certain contexts and occasions to certain people. And that's the Jewish notion of what Sneas is all about. So the Luchos and the Oron, which are the holiest, the most valuable, are inaccessible to the masses. They are something which is benister. They're inaccessible. They're holy. Yes? So why does it say So we're going to see there's three offerings the Torah is talking about here. Two of them are voluntary, one is obligatory. So that, the, the attitude is part of the voluntary offerings. The obligatory offering you have to give whether you want to or not. But I would say it also relates to Racheli Frankel who was here this past uh, Shabbos together with Iris Yifrach, mothers of two of the three boys who were so horrifically kidnapped and, and brutally murdered this past summer. They are remarkable, extraordinary women. Extraordinary. It was an incredible Shabbos. But Racheli Frankel, in addition to being an inspiration because of how she dealt with the horrific events, is a master educator. She's a teacher. So she spoke last Shabbos morning. She gave a beautiful Dvar Torah. And she said, in explaining, Im Kesef Ame, the word Im sounds like the, that loaning a fellow Jew is, is optional. But we know that Chazal interpreted it to be obligatory. So which is it? Are you obligated to loan? Or are you simply, if you want to loan? And she explained that something that's true for all of Tariq Mitzvahs, for all of Torah and Halacha, that we are to cultivate within ourselves at the same time a sense of obligation, of duty, 
I don't have a choice. It's non-negotiable. A mitzvah is an obligation. But the attitude I bring towards that obligation is a full heart. As if I'm volunteering it. As if I fully want to do it. Right? That, that's what we hope from our children. We ask them to do something. We hope they're not doing it just because they have to. They're doing it because they have to, but also because they, we hope in marriage. When we respond to the request or need of our spouse, we're not just doing it because we have to. We're doing it because we recognize we have to, but we also bring to it a spirit of we want to. And that's that dualism within all of mitzvah. So maybe you could say the same thing here. So two out of three offerings are voluntary, but Asheri Venuli Bo is... Even what you have to do, you should do with a generous spirit as if you want to. As if you want to. Okay. So the Ramban, we can continue the Ramban, but we'll be out of time. So I'll encourage you to read the rest of this very important Ramban on your own. But in this long comment of the Ramban, really the Ramban's introduction to our Parsha, the Ramban is also developing this idea like the Ibn Ezra, that the Mishkan is the continuation of the Harsinai experience. We revisit Harsinai every time with the Mishkan. Which also means that every time you come to shul, shul is a mikdash ma'at. It's a temple in miniature. And every time you come to shul, you're revisiting Har Sinai. Rabbi Soloveitchik developed the notion that's what Kriya Satora is. Kriya Satora stands up on a platform. You have a gabai on each side and the person, the balkori, standing in the middle, which commemorates Moshe, Aaron, and Chuy. You have the whole Yeshua, you have the recreation of Matan Torah, the Rav developed. Every time you have a Kriya Torah is a recreation of Matan Torah. Every time you come to Shul, you're like walking in the Mishkan, which is the continuation of Har Sinai. Right? The Lashon Ramban. Vayab Mishkan Tamid Im Yisrael HaKavot Shenira Lahem Bahar Sinai. Ubebo Moshe Ayolav Adibur Hashem Dabar Labar Sinai. When God called Moshe to the Old Moed to dictate to him the next mitzvah or the next way to record the events that had just unfolded, where does he call him? To the Old Moed, which is the Mishkan. So when Moshe went back to the Mishkan, it was as if he was climbing Har Sinai again to continue his dialogue with the Almighty. So the Rabban sees in the Mishkan the continuation of, of Har Sinai. Okay, let's keep going. Look at the Sforno, also on Pasuk Beis. Who's supposed to collect the truma? Why? Who's Moshe addressing this to? God says to Moshe, tell the people, collect for me truma. This is different than the Beis HaLevi, right? The Beis HaLevi says, it says, collect for me truma, it really means give. Why does it say take? Because we're not giving of ourselves. We're taking what God has already asked us to be the steward of, the trustee of, and, as, and we're supposed to allocate it on his behalf. But the Svarno gives a different interpretation. Says the Svarno, God was telling Moshe, speak to the Gaboy Tzedakah. You have Gaboyim. When Moshe descends the mountain, as it says, so Moshe fulfills God's will and he tells the Sanhedrin who are the trustees, the Gabayim, go and collect the staka. Go and collect the funds. But what happened? The Jewish people were so excited, so excited to contribute, to participate, to be part of this project. They came to Moshe and they threw the money at him. They gave without having to be asked. They were so excited to be part of this. And that's why all that was left for the princes, the heads of the tribes, was to give the stones and to give the oils. Because the people acted with such alacrity, with such enthusiasm. They gave, it's an incredible madrega, they gave without having to be asked. Okay, let's keep going. So much to say on every word here in every single Pasuk. But we'll go on to Pasuk Gimel. And this is the gift. What does the word truma mean? Latrom is to donate. A truma is a donation, is a gift. Shimshon Fal Hirsch so beautifully says, What's the root of the word truma, latrom, to donate, to give? Resh Vav Mem. The etymology of the word truma comes from Rom. The Harim. What is Rome? Rome, Romamus. What does the word Rome mean? <coughs> Exalted, lifted, elevated, high. As you could guess, 
What is Rafersh getting at? How do you elevate yourself through the act of giving? When you give, you get so much more than you've given. When you give is how you grow. Very counter to our culture today. Our world says, how do you attain rich wealth? By taking. The more you take, the happier you'll be. We believe the more you give, the happier you'll be. The more you give, the happier you'll be. This month we're entering is a month of simcha. How do you achieve simcha? How do you achieve happiness? Go out shopping, go buy a new dress, go get a new car. The month of Adar is a mitzvah to go buy, accumulate, amass, take. No. How do you achieve happiness? It's the secret to happiness. The secret to happiness is that happiness is not achieved when taking, happiness is achieved from giving. It's not a coincidence that the Rambam says that Purim, I have three mitzvahs, the Suda, the Shalach Manas, and Matanas Laavyonim. Writes the Rambam, if I have a set amount of money, where should I put it? Minimize my Mishloach Manos and maximize my Matanas Laavyonim. Downplay. Don't make them so elaborate and expensive and give the entire world. Do the basic mitzvah. Mishloach Manos. Give two items to two people and uh, fulfill the basic mitzvah. And instead, put the money towards Matanas Laavyonim. Why, says the Rambam? Because he says, after all, the mitzvah of the day of Purim is simcha, and nothing brings simcha like giving to others. So Mishanichnas Adar, the, the month, the, the, the joy that we're supposed to achieve in this month is not by taking, but the joy is achieved by giving. There are countless studies, Google it, that show that people who are depressed, the way to get them out of their depression is by volunteering, is by giving. What brings people happiness, countless studies, if you have somebody who's down in the dumps who's, who's depressed, bring them to something where they're volunteering. Bring them to a soup kitchen. Bring them to... When you give, when you donate, when you volunteer, it's such a good feeling. It brings the true authentic... It brings the true authentic happiness. Why are we getting to that? Oh, the word of refresh. So the root of the word truma is larum, elevate. You become elevated. Ain simcha. There's no simcha but giving. Mishinichnas adar is matanas lavyanim. That's where our money belongs. Pasagimel. V'zosat truma shetikhu meitam. So what is that donation to take? Zahav v'chesef unechoshef. Unechoshes. Gold and silver and copper. V'zechelas v'argaman v'sola shani v'sheish izim. And turquoise, purple, scarlet wool, linen, and the hair of a goat. shitim, and dyed ram skins and tachash skins and shitim wood. What are all these things? These are all the ingredients. These are all the materials that will be necessary for the building of the mishkan. So that's what God is instructing Moshe when you do your when you do your uh, appeal, your pitch. These are the ingredients. These are the things that we that we need. These are the things that we need. The Balaturim says, "Sorry, go back to Pasuk Beis. Very important Balaturim. Tikhu as trumasi. Notice it doesn't say tikach as trumasi. It doesn't say when you go collect you the individual in the singular tikach. What does it say? Tikhu. What does tikhu mean? The plural." Says the Balaturim, Tikhu es trumasi, velo omer tikach, she'ein govin staka bepachos mishnayim. It's a Mishnah in Shkolem, Gemarim Baba Basra. You cannot be in charge of money as an individual. Bokeraton Synagogue proudly requires two signatures on every check. No officer, board member, no individual can sign a check, right, Ami? You need two signatures on any check. Why? It's a Mishnah Shkolem. It's a Gemara Baba Basra. Not because we doubt or suspect. We're not suspicious of any individual. But it means you have to create a culture where you demand accountability and transparency no less than two individuals. Tikhu, says the Baal Turim, is bigamatria, shnayim kichu. Any nonprofit organization that asks me to get involved, I ask, what's your governance? You have a board who signs your checks. What's the transparency? How do you figure out the budget? Because if you have individuals signing checks, if there's no board, if there's no transparency, your governance or accountability, I don't want to be involved. I've just had personally horrific experiences. And if you look around the Jewish world, scandals. Prominent shul in the New York area where a gabai 
stole hundreds of thousands of dollars before anybody noticed. Organizations, and different Tom Shabbos, where individuals have access to funds and take money. So the Torah already knows thousands of years ago that when it comes to money, ooh, nobody is trustworthy. Nobody's trustworthy. It's too, it's too, um, too tempting, too enticing. So it's in the plural. Not tikach, not tikach, but tikhu, not pachos mishnayim. Two signatures on any check, or you shouldn't be giving a donation to that organization. If it doesn't, why, why should anyone be afraid to have to have two signatures? What would be the hesitation to have two signatures? The fact that there would be a hesitation would make me never give a penny to that organization. Anyway, so you see that from the Torah here. Good. These ingredients, all these materials that are necessary, you have the different, uh, the different forms of money, the different materials, the and the and so on. So, Tichashim, what are Tichashim? Rashi says, Min Tichashim, a Tachash was a type of animal. Gemara tells it only existed at that time. This was an animal made of many colors. It had very, very fancy skin. And it was used for the Mishkan. We don't have it today. What's Atzei Shitim? Shitim wood. How does Art Scroll uh, translate that? Acacia wood. What is acacia wood? Anyone here home built from acacia wood? I have no idea what acacia wood is. Acacia wood is shitim. Where in the world did they get this wood? They're making their way through the Midbar. They've left Mitzrayim. They leave Harsinai. And all of a sudden God says, Okay, I want you to take all this acacia wood. We're going to build a movable structure together. Where do they get this wood from? Oh, so everybody Baruch Hashem knows the Helega Rashi. Zogd Rashi. May I and Hayolohem by Midbar. Ask Rashi. Where in the world did they get wood in the desert? So Perish Rebbe Tanchuma, Yaakov Avinu Tzipa Baruch HaKodesh Asid in Yisrael Livnos Mishkan Bamidbar. Oh, what a beautiful lesson. Yaakov Avinu anticipated. Yaakov was not only worried about the here and now of his life, Yaakov was living for future generations. So Yaakov foresaw that his children were destined to build a tabernacle in the Midbar. So what did he do? On the way down to Egypt. He wasn't living for himself. His whole life was about planting the seeds so that his children and grandchildren could benefit from the fruit. So on the way down to Mitzrayim, he planted the Arazim, and he commanded his children, when you will ultimately go through this servitude and slavery, and you will be redeemed on your way out, know that what I've planted for you today, you will benefit from them. Then don't forget the wood. Right? We all know this. It's beautiful and it speaks so much about the Jewish notion of intergenerational, door by door, not living for the here and now, living for the future. Beautiful, right? Not so according to the Ibn Ezra. Hold your question for one minute. Says the Ibn Ezra, right, that's, the, that's the one we're all familiar with. But the Ibn Ezra doesn't like it. Sorry to shatter your childhood notion of where they got the wood from. Says the Ibn Ezra, There are, we have uh, authorities who say where they get the wood from Yaakov. So he, knew, he knew the Medrash. The Ibn Ezra was not stupid. He was not ignorant. The Ibn Ezra knew the Medrash. And the Jewish people, when they left Egypt, Moshe instructed, don't forget the wood that our forefather Yaakov planted. And the raya is that Moshe tells all that is with you. Fine. Ask the Ibn Ezra, so he says, it sounds like from the Pasuk that the wood didn't come from the Midbar on their way out, but that when Moshe was in Egypt and he told them, bring it with you, among the things they were to borrow from their neighbor was this wood. And why did the neighbors give them this wood? What impression were the neighbors in Mitzrayim under about where the Jewish people were going? To bring sacrifices. And they were going to return. He says, can you picture it? 
They're trying to run out of the time. They didn't have enough time for the dough to rise. And somehow this slave people is carrying 10 armor wooden beams on their back. And what did they answer when the Egyptians said, Where are you going? You're taking all these 10 armor beams. You're just supposed to be going off for a little sacrifice and coming back. He says, I don't know if it's a Kabbalah that we have, that this Yaakov Avinu story, but says the Ibn Ezra, I'd like to make my own suggestion. Wow. Says the Ibn Ezra, you never heard this. I never saw this till this morning. Says the Ibn Ezra, you know where they got this acacia wood from? There was a forest next to Harsinai. Yar! There was a forest next to Harsinai. So how did they discover this forest, says the Ibn Ezra? Because they got to Harsinai a little bit early, and the clouds of of glory had not yet been given. So imagine how hot it was. You know, there's, if you've ever seen documentaries or read about how high the temperatures rise in the Sinai Desert, in the Sahara Desert, in the middle of uh, certain seasons of the year, certainly in the middle of Sivan, when the Torah was given, do you have any idea how hot it was? Any idea how hot it was? As Asa kol echad sukkah. So what they do? They needed shade to survive. So each one built a sukkah. They cut down the whole forest because there were so many vasusukas and they made booths. And Moshe only told them about the Mishkan after Yom Kippur, which is after Chayta Ega, which is after Ar Sinai. So that's Vachola Sherito. Use all the materials that are with you. It means not the materials that you're going to discover that Yaakov Avinu said had planted, but according to the Ibn Ezra, this acacia wood came from an acacia wood forest, which was next to Arsinai, which they cut down first to give themselves shade to survive, and then later Moshe says, use all the materials you have with you, including some of the wood you had used for shade, to now use towards the Mishkan. Fascinating Ibn Ezra. Rabbeinu Bachya says, you'll see many of the kalim are made from this atzei shitim, this acacia wood. Says Rabbeinu Bachya, the word shitim is an acronym. Shin stands for Shalom, Yud stands for Yeshua, Tes stands for Tova, and the Mem stands for Mechila. That through these kalim made from this special, special wood, you will achieve peace, salvation, good, and forgiveness. Shalom, Yeshua, Tova, Mechila, Shitim. Shitim wood of these different of these different kalim. Okay, let's keep going. So the Machlokas, Rashi, and the Ibn Ezra, where'd they find this wood? It takes away a little bit the uh, beautiful fairy tale story, Yaakov Avinu, and we should still do things for future generations. Even if the Ibn Ezra's right, there was an acacia wood forest, you should still care about your grandchildren. Okay. Pasuk Zayin. Avnei Shalom, Avnei Miluim, Laifod, V'lachoshen. They brought these special stones that would be used for the breastplate, and so on. Pasuk Ches. Of course, this is the Pasuk everybody talks about in this Pasha. V'yasuli mikdash, v'shachanti b'socham, make for me a mikdash and dwell in. In anyone awake? Among in them, kechosh ani mareuscha. Everything I will show you is tavnis hamishkan, veis tavnis kol kelav. Everything I'm going to show you, the, the diagrams of the mishkan and of the utensils, v'chein ta'asu. So shall you do. What do you mean, v'chein ta'asu? So shall you do. When? Ta'asu is written in the... Ta'asu is written in the plural. Why is ta'asu written in the plural? Why not the singular? Right now, so shall you do. Right now, the here and now, you're about to build a mishkan. You in the plural sounds like... Rashi says, v'chein ta'asu, look at Rashi. Lidoros. Rashi's quoting the Gemara in Sanhedrin. Says Rashi, this is a commandment in perpetuity. Just like when God told us to wear tzitzis or 
God told us to keep Shabbos. He didn't just mean that day. He meant in perpetuity. So too, when God says build a Mishkan, He means in perpetuity. What's the perpetuity? Lodoros, every generation. Meaning, says Rashi, in the Mishkan, in the Midbar, they built a Mishkan. Shlomo HaMelech was going to build a first base of Mikdash, and so on. The Ramban does not like this Rashi. Says the Ramban, the Chain Tasu, he quotes Rashi, and then he says, V'lo yadati, she is the Emes, she is Chayyish Shlomo Lazos, Kli, Beis Olamim, Kitav Neseilu, Mizbech Anachosh, is also Shlomo, Esrim Ama, Erech, Be'esrim Rachav. Says the Ramban, Rashi's wrong. You can't tell me the Chain Tasu, social you do in the plural means, in subsequent generations who have an obligation to build the Mishkan, for example, Shlomo. This puzzle can't be speaking to Shlomo. And how does the Ramban know that? Because Shlomo did not follow the dimensions of our, of our parsha. Shlomo's based on Mikdash, the Kalim, Shlomo Melech's based on Mikdash, had different dimensions than are delineated in our parsha. So says the Ramban, it is not talking about, it is not talking about Lodoros for all future generations. So what's it talking about? What then is it talking about? So in his Nefesh HaChayim, Rav Chaim Volozhner, Chaim Volozhner was the uh, Talmud Mufak, the great student of the Vilna Gom. And in his Nefesh HaChayim, he has a beautiful interpretation. Says the Nefesh HaChayim. Shar Aleph Perek Dalet. V'chein Ta'asu, what does it mean, Ladoros? Says Rav Chaim Volozhner, Shekein Ta'asu is Atzmechem. V'chein Ta'asu is not talking. How do you say this mitzvah applies to every generation? Bachmano Ritzlan, we don't have a Beis HaMikdash. For thousands of years, the Jewish people have not had a Beis HaMikdash. How can you say that we have a mitzvah to build these utensils? Okay, so the people at Machon HaMikdash will tell you they are fulfilling this mitzvah because right, if you walk down to the Kotel, you see the menorah. I was once walking with one of the heads of Machon HaMikdash and I said, oh, you, you guys built this uh, replica of the menorah, right? stopped in his tracks and he looked at me like I had just insulted his mother. He said to me, Replica? Replica? That is the menorah. Sorry. Right, so Machon HaMikdash, they're building the kalim that we anticipate Amir Tashem will use any moment in the base of Mikdash. But asks the Ramban and Rashi, how can you say Lodoros means that every, I have an obligation right now? There is no base of Mikdash, there is no Mishka. How could you say Ladoros means every generation? So it comes along the Nefesh HaChayim so beautifully and he says, you know what it means Ladoros every generation? Where do you build the Mishkan? In your home, in your heart, in your life. Asuli Mikdash, make for Liam, Mikdash Bisachanti Bisacham and I will dwell in them. How can you say I will dwell in them? It's incongruous the, the Pasuk. Vyasuli, make for me in the singular in Mishkan. In Mikdash, and I will dwell in them. The them is each and every one of ours. Right? Our parsha is relevant to every generation because it's not talking about the architectural plans alone. It's talking about the spirit, the values of the Mishkan that are to be found in our lives. There's a beautiful Medrash Tanchuma in Pekude that says that the tabernacle corresponds to the creation of man, that we, everybody, every human being, is a miniature world a miniature tabernacle. And the Medrash goes on to elaborate and says, the menorah corresponds with our eye, protecting what we see. The shulchan is our mouth, how we eat. The incense altar, the mizbeach haktoras, corresponds with the nose. And the Medrash goes on and on to show how all the kalim of the mishkan correspond to different aspects of our being. In fact, this was captured so beautifully in the 16th century by the great Makubo, Rabbi Lazar Askari, who wrote the song, again, bringing you back to Shalashiras, Bilvavi Mishkan Evne, Lehadar Kvodo, I'll spare you singing it again. But it's such a beautiful song. In my heart, I will construct a tabernacle, a Mishkan, Lehadar Kvodo, to glorify His honor. And in the sanctuary, I will place an altar to glorify His splendor. For the eternal light, I will take the fire of the Akedah. And for a sacrifice, I will offer Him to my soul, my singular soul. Such a beautiful song that captures this nefesh hachaim. That my body, my body is the conduit to perform the mitzvahs. But just like at the essence of the mishkan, the mishkan was not just about the planks and the, and the animal skins 
and it wasn't just about the gold and the silver, but what was the engine that drove the Mishkan was the presence of the Shekhinah. So that's what God is saying to me, saying to each and every one of us, yes, you could do mitzvahs with your hands and your feet. Yes, you can perform the mitzvahs, but the essence of, of your being needs to be me, the Shekhinah. Bring me into your life, into your decisions, into your attitude, into your approach, into all that you do. That's why when God withdraws from the Beis HaMikdash, when God is ready to destroy the Beis HaMikdash, He says, The Navi tells us that God is, is uh, exacerbated. God says, I don't want your empty sacrifices. This Beis HaMikdash is not just about going through the motions on the road. It's about the essence. It's about your feeling. It's about being authentic. So we too in our own personal lives are not supposed to go through the motions of mitzvot, but we're supposed to be absolutely authentic in all that we do. So many mafurshim here on this pasuk on v'yasuli mikdash v'shachanti b'socham. What it's all about. But I want to end with a beautiful insight from Rav Asher Weiss Shlita. Rav Asher Weiss says so beautifully. What is the mishkan in our day? If you assume this obligation as Lodoro said in every generation, so the Medrash Tanchuma says it's our body, what we see with our eyes what we say with our mouth or how we eat and uh, so on and so forth each corresponds to the kalim <coughs> of the Mishkan but Rav says it corresponds with our home where is the Mishkan today? it is inside our house it's inside our home how can we make our homes a place of Shekhinah if you follow the template of the Mishkan so says Rav the menorah corresponds with the light of Torah right? Orozu Torah the Gemara Megillah says the menorah stands for the Torah Shabbat Peh, the light of the menorah that illuminates the whole world, right? The windows of the Mishkan, of the Beis HaMikdash, were unlike all other windows. Normally, we allow the sunlight to come in. In the Beis HaMikdash, the windows were designed to bring the light of the menorah and project it out. The, the, the menorah is the notion of light. It's being illuminated in our lives. So the Chazal teach us, the Gemara Baba Basra Chafei HaRotzalahachkim Yadrim, Tell this to all the people who live up north. If you want to achieve wisdom, then you should face south when you daven. V'simanech menorah bedorom. And how do you know that? What's the mnemonic? The fact that in the Beis HaMikdash, the menorah was positioned on the south side of the sanctuary. Haragil b'neir havyelam banam tamidichacham. Gemara in Shabbos says that a person who is accustomed to sit next to the candle, that means to learn Torah, to illuminate their lives through Torah, through the light of the, of the menorah, We'll have children who are Tamidei Chacham. So what's the first ingredient to bring into our home? Is to have a menorah in our home. You know how important it is for our children to see us learning? For our children to see us learning? It's so important for our children or our grandchildren when they visit to think learning is not just about school and tests. To have a chavrusa at home, to open a sefer at home. When you're on vacation, to bring a sefer with you. When you're in the car, to listen to Divrei Torah. That you need to bring a menorah into our lives. The first way to bring Shechina is through bringing Torah into our lives. Number two says, Rav Weiss is the Mizbeach. What does the Mizbeach parallel? Tefillah. The Tefillah was instituted in order to replace the Karbonos we no longer have. Unishama parim sfaseinu. Our lips substitute for the bulls, for the, the, uh, for the uh, sacrifices we no longer have. Rabbeinu Yonah says on the, on the great Mishnah we all know, says Rabbeinu Yonah, the Avoda means the Karbonos. But now that we don't have a Beis HaMikdash, the Mizbeach is the pillar of Avodah. Our children need to see the way we daven. We want Shekhinah in our homes. You can't bench while you're clearing up. You can't daven while you're walking around the house. If you have to, the davening should be with Kavana. You know, Rabbeinu Yonah writes in the back of the Gemara Barachos. I'll tell you, just bear with me one more minute. The Gemara says that a person should always be Koveya, a Makom Latvila. And we learn this from our Avos. You should set a place for davening. The Rishonim all learn this means a Makom Kavua in Shuls has been the source of great fighting everywhere, but a makam kavua in shuls, right? Which, by the way, just to avoid the fighting, the halacha says, you could be within Daladamas of your makam kavua, you're still in your makam kavua. So you have a six-foot circle around, you don't have to kick someone out of your chair, you've got plenty of area, a chair near that chair is still called your makam kavua. But there's an amazing Rabbeinu Yonah. Rabbeinu Yonah says, the Gemara is not talking about shul, Shul is by definition a makam kavua. Shul is a place designated for prayer. What did the Gemara mean when it said you should designate a place for prayer? In your 
home. That means that your home, you should have a special shtender or a wall or a spot. That whatever else happens in your home, that's the spot. Your children know you go there to daven. Your children are trained to go there to daven. That's the spot for davening because that elevates the experience of davening by having a designated place. So says Rav Asher Weiss, the Mizbeach the, the, of our home is the way that we daven, that designated location. He doesn't say that, Rabbi Yonah, but I think you could add that. And then lastly, the Shulchan. The Shulchan represents Gemilas Chasad and kindness. The Kohanim who serve Hashem eat the Lechem upon him. It's a skula for Parnasa. Melach Mamon Chaser. Our sages teach us, You want to become wealthy, you face the north when you daven, because that's where the Mizbeach was. It represents, it represents Chesed. The Shulchan is the attitude. Do we host guests? Do we bring others? Do we care about other people? So these Kalim, says Rav Asher Weiss, and the Vachain Ta'asu, Ladoros, means that yes, even though we're not actively building architecturally the Mishkan today, we nevertheless continue to build the Mishkan in our own lives through the way we carry our body and through our home. The Menorah, the Mizbeach, the Shulchan, Torah, Avodah, Gemilas Chasadim. If we want the Shekhinah to dwell, these are the things that we need to emphasize. Have a fantastic week.